0: Morning! Please pick up a blue hymnal and stand up and join in singing. Come let us all unite to sing. Number 12. Number 12 in the mm. Come let us all unite!
1: Good morning. Good morning and welcome to this special Wednesday Chapel. My name is Bob Yoder, one of the campus pastors. We especially want to welcome those of you um, who live off our campus and have joined us this morning. This morning we are um, grateful to welcome Ted Swartz to our campus for a couple of days. Ted is part of Ted and Company Theater Works. This morning's chapel is titled The Big and Ted Story that serves a bit of a preview for tonight's performance, The Big Story, but also gives us a glimpse more about who Ted is and and, uh, where he's come from. In 1992, Ted graduated from seminary and began a ministry that took him not to a pulpit in a congregation, but to audiences across the United States and beyond. The first 20 years of his work included the creation of Ted and Lee theater works with Lee Eshelman and development of plays such as Armadillo Shorts, Fish Eyes, Creation Chronicles, Live at Jacob's Theater, and Dovetail. Since Lee's death in May of 2007, Ted has been writing and performing new plays with a number of other artists. Ted lives in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. Along with writing and acting, his loves include his wife, Sue, three sons, Elliot, Ian, and Derek, and new daughter-in-laws, Katrina and Hannah, and he likes baseball. Go Pirates. Ted, (laughs) Ted is passionate about bringing thought-provoking storytelling to the stage and incorporates theater and comedy into biblical storytelling, often pushing the envelope on issues of faith and social justice. In addition to being with us in chapel this morning and Friday morning, ted will be leading a workshop tomorrow morning for pastors and other local minister worship leaders on incorporating drama in worship he will be speaking in several classes these couple of days and performing three different full shows tonight tomorrow night and friday night tonight at 7 pm ted will perform the big story in humble center which is now sold out tomorrow night he will perform Laughter and Lament at 7 p.m. here in this space. And Friday night, he and Tim Rupke will perform I'd Like to Buy an Enemy at the Goshen Theater in downtown Goshen. You can buy tickets at the Goshen College Welcome Center during the day or at the door of each show for tomorrow night and Friday night. Tickets for Goshen College students is $3 with a valid student ID For others, it's $5 per person or $10 if you bring your whole family. Profits from these shows will go to support the ministry of The Window, whose offices are in downtown Goshen. The Window is an agency of Church Women United of Goshen Incorporated that provides services to help meet basic needs of the elderly and anyone with limited income. And now, as we do in all of our chapels, I light this lamp as a reminder of God's spirit and presence with us this morning. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for another day of life. Thank you for safe travels of Tim and Ted that they could join us here on this campus. Open our hearts, our ears, and our minds Amen. Thank you, Bob.
2: I'll forgive you the pirates comment, but nobody hasn't nobody said that for a long time. Probably go <laughs> pirates. Really sorry about that. It's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, I have uh, a couple of relatives here, and I've already uh, met Lydia, who I know is here, and I have just a checklist to see, is Dietrich here this morning? Excellent, okay. (laughs) Very good. Thank you very much. Last weekend, I was at the Mennonite Arts uh, Festival in Cincinnati with the women's choir from here. Oh, my. You guys have all heard the women's choir, I hope, right? Are you guys all over here? That's all I remember, I can't get anything else. (laughs) This hat is uh, almost uh, 15, 16 years old. It's been in four shows, four different characters. And a hat, if you're trying to find a character, can be a really big help. Um, When we bought this, they weren't very prevalent in the US, but they were very prevalent in in, uh, Canada, and we bought this in Ontario. And, very good, Ontario. Does that mean you live there? You know where it is. <laughs> know, <laughs> e- either one is okay because we were we were just up there, and they're just as nice as they used to be. Um, it was my understanding when we bought this that the Canadians know how to wear these hats, and it's getting a little better in the U.S. But people from Virginia, when you wear them, you just look dumb. So, <laughs> You just do. <laughs> this is a story from the Old Testament. Howdy. My name's Jeremiah. Howdy. It was a, a few years ago that the Lord said to me, Jeremiah. That's what he generally calls me, Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, go buy some Shorts. And wear these shorts, but don't wash them. That's what he said, so that's what I did. I, I went and I bought some shorts, and I wore them, but I didn't wash them. I was never that popular anyway. It, it, it was a, a, a few years later than that the Lord said to me, Jeremiah! That's what He generally calls me Jeremiah. He said, take them shorts off and go on over there to Pirah and hide them shorts in a crack in a big rock. That's what he said. So that's what I did. I took them shorts off. <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> and I went on over there to Pirah and I hid them shorts in the crack in the big rock. It's a few years later that the Lord said to me, Jeremiah. That's what he generally calls me, Jeremiah. He said, go on over there to Pyra and get them shorts what was in the crack in the big rock. He said, that's what I did. I went back there to Pyra and I got them shorts what was in the crack in the big rock. They didn't look the same. I was pretty sure they wouldn't. Then the Lord said, I will use the power of Babylonia to destroy the pride of Judah and jerusalem they do evil things they even worship other gods and when i am done with them they will be good for nothing just like them shorts i knew he'd come around to the reason why i ruined a perfectly good pair of shorts see the, the, he said those shorts used to fit tight around your waist didn't they i said they used to He said, That's how tightly I wanted to hold on to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. I wanted to make them famous so that other people would worship me too, but they they wouldn't do it. Then he was gone. I was stuck holding the waistband. He does that to me a lot. It's hell being a walking metaphor. Well, that's what happened. That's my story. My short story. (laughs)
0: Thank
2: you. Uh, If people like that piece, it it tends to be about a 60-40 that the women like it more than the men. I think it's the mothering instinct because he's just so dang pitiful, so... I'm not sure why. (laughs) Just to give you a little bit of background, I thought I would do uh, a couple of readings from a a book that's coming out. It's not done yet. It's at the publishers uh, looking at the first round. So I'd like to do a couple of readings from it to help me discern what it is that works and what doesn't and if the whole thing is mediocre and I shouldn't even continue. So, why am I standing in front of you from chapter one? I had failed the Greek exegesis class, I tanked the class, pulled a 37 on the final, out of 100, yes. (laughs) See, I could never understand why seminaries had you study how to parse Greek verbs to better understand how to lead a congregation, how to inspire or console a congregation. I understand intellectually why, to have the skills to delve into the language in which the texts were originally written. To glean a nugget of original intent, to shine a light to a hungry audience. But language parsing skills seemed a lot like learning how to make a bat in order to play baseball. I had that off my chest, thank you. I was 32, married, three young sons, a church in Pennsylvania who was paying for my time there, counting on me to be a pastor. And I hated Greek, and I wasn't wild about Hebrew, nor the threat of systematic theology. What did I really want to do? I wanted to be an actor. George Brunk III was the Greek prof and also the seminary dean at the time, and GB III was a daunting figure. Perhaps you know him. Tall, gaunt, a voice off the bottom scale, with a pedigree in the Mennonite church unparalleled. Son of the most famous or infamous evangelist of the 50s. Depending on how you felt about coercion and guilt used to ensure a commitment to the Lord. But that wasn't George the third. Maybe that's why I wasn't scared spitless to walk into his office after my first year and ask him if I could attend acting classes at James Madison University. And by the way, would he give me credit for acting classes? He was either highly prescient or perhaps knew I needed those classes to simply stay in seminary. He might have thought, okay, let him go, get it out of his system. We might still have a viable pastoral candidate when he's done. And where the heck was the dang continuing education office? See, I had found myself on a campus 16 times larger than EMUs looking for the continuing ed office. See, I needed a special dispensation from the acting professor at James Madison because it was an undergraduate class and I needed to register in continuing ed. And that office was in a cottage at the other end of campus. I had ridden a borrowed bike that day with a low back tire and by the time I had found the correct forms in the continuing ed office, I had missed my appointment with Tom Arthur, head of the acting program at JMU. Maybe I should just go home. I still needed his permission to attend classes. I had come this far. To give up meant returning to Greek and in addition, Hebrew. (laughs) I went to his office and I knocked on the open door. The office looked like, I imagined, a theater professor's office should look like. Stacks of plays and shelves of textbooks, biographies of the famous and not so famous. Dr. Arthur, he glanced up. Yes. I'm Ted Swartz, theatrical pause. (laughs) You're late. Should I tell him about the borrowed bike with a low-back tire, the fact that the continuing ed office was approximately 36 miles from his office, (laughs) that it took more guts than I thought I even had to be there? No, probably not. Right. I'm sorry. Roger says you're pretty good. Roger was his colleague who adjudicated the performance of Line in Winter and then nominated me for an acting award. Thank God for Roger. Okay, that was nice of him. Theatrical pause. We'll see. I think that's a yes. First day of class, me and 23 actual non-Mennonite college students with varying degrees of ability, attractiveness, and soberness, and interest. (laughs) His first words to the class were, I am nuts about acting. I like him. I think. And I'm not sure why, but some students think I'm mean, intimidating, and unfair. I don't think that's true. I just don't like bad acting. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm going to be eviscerated in front of people I don't know. <laughs> it was a different class than I had experienced to that point. See, we didn't do warm-ups. We didn't learn how to breathe and connect our bodies to the words. We didn't lie down and imagine ourselves in a scene. We didn't bring our dreams and act them out. We didn't try and dredge up trauma from our past in order to create real emotion. We were expected to already know how to do that. We're going to jump right into scene work. I've given you scenes, he said, that will push you, and I'm especially happy, now pointing at me, sitting in the second row against the wall, trying not to look Mennonite and married, (laughs) with what I did to you. Great. My first scene was from Entertaining Mr. Sloan, an English dark comedy by Joe Orton described in the press like this. Murder, homosexuality, nymphomania, and sadism are among the themes of this black comedy, focusing on a brother and sister who become involved with a young, sexy, amoral drifter with a mysterious past. (laughs) Yes, I would be playing said young, sexy, amoral drifter. I didn't feel like I was typecast in any of those descriptions. Compared to the other students, I wasn't young. I certainly didn't see myself as sexy, and I thought my morals were, well, moral. (laughs) But I supposed I could drift, (laughs) if called to. What was he expecting me to do? Rebel against the theme, the sexuality, the language? Resist his choice of acting partners? A 20-year-old college student named Mel, short for Melody, not Melvin. So I accepted his challenge, and I tried to tap into my inner amorality and driftedness. Now, most actors will tell you the most fun characters are the bad guys, especially if they're written with nuance. Then you can try and compel the audience to like you, confusing their sensibilities. During rehearsal, class assistant Dan pulled me aside and said, at the top of the scene, when she's showing you the place, grab her and kiss her. (laughs) Kiss her how? What do you mean, how? Yes, in what manner should I kiss her? You're kidding, right? No. You've kissed a woman. Yes, of course. (laughs) That's how. You mean just kiss her? Yes. Why would I do that? I don't understand. What's the motivation for kissing her? Theatrical pause. (laughs) It's just an idea. Don't you want to kiss her? I didn't say that. So kiss her. Right. What he didn't know, Dan, was I had kissed exactly one other woman at this point in my life. My wife. (laughs) Seriously. She was the only woman I had ever dated. See, my dad had only ever dated my mother. All three of our sons only ever dated one woman. In fact, the first time my dad met our youngest son's girlfriend, he said, you know, Swartz's only date one woman. (laughs) I'm not sure that should be the introduction to the first family meeting, but Derek and Chelsea did get married four years later. That's the third son-in-law, or son and daughter-in-law. So was this okay to kiss another woman? Should I write back to the board at home at the church in Pennsylvania who was supporting us? Or should I ask the congregation here in Harrisonburg where I was serving quarter time on pastoral team? Perhaps I should bring it up in ethics class at the seminary. That conversation might have gone like this. Today in class, uh, instead of manipulating language and ideas to replicate possible scenarios to engender discussion, Can I ask the group what they think of me kissing another woman? (laughs) For the sake of art. (laughs) Art. Yes, acting in a scene. Is that art? Of course. I thought it was just pretending. What? You know, acting. No, I mean, is this pertinent to the question? You're the one who brought up art. I just thought it meant kissing for inspiration to paint or sing or sculpt. Look, I didn't think I needed to introduce acting as an art form all over again. Can we start over? I've been instructed to kiss a woman in a scene for a class. Instructed? Well, who instructs someone to kiss a stranger? Well, she's not really a stranger. Even so. Okay, maybe not instructed It was a strong suggestion. You said instructed. I know. So you weren't being truthful. Look, (laughs) perhaps I exaggerated to make a point. And this is what you're learning at JMU. Lying. (laughs) No. And this is for acting class. Yes. Is it necessary for this scene? I don't know. We're just trying it out. Do we have to try out everything before we make a moral judgment? Do you have to smoke pot to make a moral decision about it? What? Do you have to have sex with another woman before you say it's not a good idea? I'm not having sex with anybody. How does it affect affect the body? Oh, good question. How does it affect the body? My body? No, the body of Christ. I want to know how it affects his body. Christ? No, Ted's. (laughs)
1: It's just a kiss. But is a kiss ever really
2: just a kiss? Theatrical pause. How about if I promise not to enjoy it? (laughs) Yes, that might have been an interesting ethics class. Okay, so next rehearsal. When that time came, I grabbed her and I kissed her. Now, unbeknownst to her, Mel had the distinction of being the second woman I had ever kissed in my life. I don't know if I surprised her. I must have. Why else would she have given me the tongue? (laughs) Now she had surprised me. In an odd sort of way, that was the right thing to do, perhaps. That's what make act, makes acting alive, surprising each other. I do remember the thought that went through my mind. God, I wished she didn't smoke. <laughs> <laughs> From the next chapter. First year in seminary, Dorothy Jean Weaver's New Testament class, our textbook, was Jack Dean Kingsbury's Matthew S. Story. And I remember very distinctly Garthy Jean telling us to read the text in this way. This passage has classic themes with classic characters. Why don't you read this as a play with plot, characters, good guys, bad guys, conflict and confirmation, confrontation? And I was in the back of the class memorizing lines or perhaps writing comedy sketches when she said this. It was like a dog smelling meat. Hmm? She had caught my intention. See, despite my best intentions, I only seemed to be effective as a writer, as an actor, as a person when my passions are engaged, inflamed, and, dare I say it, engorged. Okay, maybe not engorged, because while that doesn't have to sound dirty, it just does. (laughs) I wish I could be more like my wife, Sue, who's efficient and effective simply because, well, she just is. Not that she doesn't get passionate. Okay, we're veering off track again. So I was now intrigued. Our text that day was Matthew 16. The disciples had forgotten to bring any bread when they crossed the lake. Jesus had warned them, watch out, guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now the disciples talked this over and said to each other, he must be saying this because we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus knew what they were thinking and said, you surely don't have much faith. Why are you talking about not having any bread? Don't you understand? Have you forgotten about the 5,000 people and all those baskets of leftovers from just five loaves of bread? And what about the 4,000 people and all those baskets of leftovers from only seven loaves of bread? Don't you know by now that I am not talking to you about the bread? Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Finally, the disciples understood that Jesus wasn't talking about the yeast used to make bread, but about the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I found very funny this image of a confused group of disciples huddled together at one end of the boat. Okay, never mind the nautical implications. I realized that professional fishermen, of which there were at least four, would never all pile into one end of the boat, (laughs) running the risk of swamping the boat and dumping the Son of the Most High into the Sea of Galilee. One should never let the facts get in the way of a good comedy image. And Jesus is at the other end, waiting, perched serenely on the gunwale. Okay, it wasn't a gunwale yet. I know, I know, because there weren't guns yet. In fact, don't let the facts get in the way of, okay, moving on. See, he's thrown out yet another pithy, enigmatic saying. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And I imagine this dialogue. Yeast... Pharisees. He said Pharisees. Which Pharisees? He didn't say. I think he just means Pharisees in general. Why does he keep doing that? I don't know. Look, you're the one who said we should follow him. I just like the extra wine. (laughs) What does he mean? Okay, so, so, so. Yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast. What about it? You make bread with yeast, right? Right, but not just yeast. What, baking powder of the Pharisees? No, 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 no. See, he's used the culinary motif before. It's it's the ingredients that are important. That's why the yeast. No, no, no. I think it's just the bread. The bread. What about it? Didn't you bring bread? I thought you were going to bring the bread. Not me. We just left 12 baskets on the shore, and you didn't bring any bread. (laughs) Meanwhile, Jesus is just sitting, watching, waiting, waiting. So, what are we going to go with? The bread. We're going with the bread. Okay, you tell him. Then they turn to Jesus and say, it's because we didn't bring any bread, isn't it? And then I imagine Jesus holding his head in his hands and muttering, oh God. (laughs) These buffoons are the foundation of a new kingdom? (laughs) And this was a great discovery for me. It made sense to me, asking where's the human story in the larger story? And because of my work in comedy at that time, I was asking, most importantly, where is the human story funny? And where does the humor and laughter take us to a deeper understanding of the story and the text? I performed a monologue for my preaching final based on that idea, and it was a hit and became the genesis of the play that Lee and I have become most known for, Fish Eyes, performed over 1,500 times. There's actually a tour going on right now in uh, Switzerland. It's been translated into Swiss German, and they're doing 24 shows in Swiss German. Each year I was in school, usually over Christmas vacation, Sue and I would meet with the primary sponsoring couples of our financial support team back at home in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And I remember at dinner, excitingly telling the couples this remarkable discovery I had made, relating my acting experience, giving them my best version of the preaching final and the response to the final, and seeing a look of... A look of, Was that exactly? Disappointment? Irritation? Frustration? Apparently, finding the humor in the Bible wasn't quite what they had paid good money for. A few years later, one of the men attended the same wedding as Sue and I. After the ceremony, we were chatting, and he made a comment referencing the service and the sermon delivered by someone who, in fact, had graduated from seminary and stayed true to his call and become a traditional pastor. He said, now that's ministry. Subtext. He's doing real ministry, as opposed to whatever it is that you're doing. That first monologue... We me go to 10 minutes. Okay. First monologue that I wrote for Fish Eyes had this beginning to it. he have any idea what time it is? I don't know. How long has he been talking? Three days. Somebody should talk to him. No, I think someone should talk to him. It's not going to be me. No, I am not going to go. What if I go up there and he starts talking to me in those preables again? (laughs) What? Parables. Fine. They're parables. (laughs) Point is, they don't make any sense. A good measure pressed down and shaken up and running out over the mustard seed with the yeast of the Pharisees. (laughs) What's that supposed to mean, yeast of the Pharisees? I don't know either. Oh, what if he starts talking in numbers? All right, you know how I am with numbers. I've got a little problem with numbers. I think he knows it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's always always looking at me when he throws one out. You ever notice that? Might as well save some time and just go, Hey, Peter! 144 <laughs> I hate that all right look okay I'll talk to him this time but you have got to talk to him next time all right. uh, excuse me Jesus Jesus could we have a word with you oh no oh, it won't take long then you can you know get right back to it um it's just this Lord there's a lot of people here and it's getting towards supper time and we were thinking that it's time to let them all go home so they could get something to eat
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh,
2: beg pardon? But he said we should give them something to eat. With what? (laughs) We should find something. (laughs) He said we should find something. What does it mean? I think it means we should find something. No, it is not a preable, it's not a parable. He <laughs> uses a different tone of voice for parables. Oh yeah, yeah, it's down in here and then we all learn something new. <laughs> yeah, right, well, I think it, okay, look, I'm, if you go out, I'm going out, go look for, I'm sorry, did anybody bring anything with them here to eat today? Any fish, Crouton, oh look, we're looking in the pocket? There we, excellent, anybody else, how are we doing? Anything to eat? Nothing, nothing, oh good. Looking in the purse, looking in the purse. Here we go, oh, great. Oh, oh, good. Oh, it's cold. Anybody else? <laughs> anybody else? Anybody over here? No. Okay. The, what? Oh, yeah. Put the, uh, well, that's a cute basket, but that's not going to feed anybody. Did you bring this? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, wait. oh, yes, Lord. Oh, yes, we've been out. Yeah. Yeah, collecting that food. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
2: so, what do we have? Well, there's a uh, basket here with uh, four or five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, the uh, apple, and uh, a granola, excuse me, late entry. Okay. <laughs> granola bar, and uh, this one just in, um, well, it's another granola bar. a healthy bunch out here, Lord. <laughs> yeah. I'm, excuse me? They're both peanut butter, actually, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know he was a big fan of the peanut butter. I, <laughs> but they, that's all we have. It's, and I think maybe we should let him... All, I'm sorry. We should bless it.
0: I guess we should.
2: Amen. Excuse me. We should pass it out. All of it. <laughs> I didn't think it was funny either, Lord. No. Uh, no. Uh, he uh, he says he's going to break it. We're supposed to make a couple of lines and pass it out. I don't know. It's not going to take long. Just make a line. food here. We got fish. We got bread. We got peanut butter. Here we go. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. What? Jesus, we, uh, looks like we got enough.
0: Yeah. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
2: The leftovers. (laughs) He said, we're supposed to pick, you're not kidding, are you? Oh, shoot. We're supposed to pick up the leftovers and put them in baskets. I don't know. Leftovers in the basket. There we go. No, put it in the basket. <laughs> yeah, leftovers. How was everything, man? Good, excellent, wonderful. Leftovers. Thank you very much. Leftovers in the basket. Leftovers. There we go. We well, toss it in from there. It'd be fine. Just yeah, just throw. It. I hope he called. It. I don't think he called the bank on that one. Really, just just this guy, okay, just yes. put the, uh, there. all done, Lord, with the, uh, uh, excuse me, how many baskets are there? Oh, good, numbers. <laughs> 11, there's 11 baskets, right? <laughs> what? 12, there's 12 baskets, Lord, <laughs> 12, right, and what does it mean? Can't twelve just be twelve? I mean, <laughs> does everything have to be a teachable moment with this guy? <laughs> twelve. Well, there's, there's twelve baskets. Well, there's twelve of us, right? And there, there's actually twelve spots. There's twelve tribes of Israel. There's twelve and twelve. Yeah. And what does that mean? <laughs> Where does he think we have information to fill in his blanks? Just. I bet it's a fig tree thing. (laughs) He hates fig trees. (laughs) You ever notice that? Yeah. Everywhere we go, we got a dead fig tree. (laughs) You're right. I'm not seeing the connection at all for that either. Um. Let's go with the usual. Let's just go with the, the usual. Yeah. We don't know. Sorry, you you want us to get into the boat? (laughs) Okay. You gonna come with us? You'll catch up. (laughs) Does he have his own boat? Thanks for being a great audience this morning. Um, as uh, Bob said, I'll be, I'll be doing uh, pieces from the big story tonight. I've uh, got a couple of students, Rihanna Cockrell and uh, Benson. Uh, Hostetter, are are helping me with a couple of sketches tonight, so I get a chance to do some things that I don't ordinarily, ordinarily get to do when I do a show by myself. We're going to take a walk through Genesis, the Revelation tonight. Finding what I hope are interesting pieces to the story, if you think you already know it, that you found something new, and trying to look at what that journey is like. That's the big story, is what is our relationship with a God who's in a relationship with us, too. And uh, part of the reason I like doing this show is it, it gives, us, gives me a chance to reflect on the journey that I've gone through uh, as an actor and as a human being, and you guys are on your way as well. So thanks for your time.